Right, our subject um, today is um, taken from Matthew 8, uh, the centurion's faith. <clears throat> you can read about this also in Luke 7, but I think uh, we'll just take the Matthew 8 section and uh, read that together first of all. So it's Matthew chapter 8, and we'll read from verse 5 through to verse 13. And when he, that's Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, entreating him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering great pain. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from east and west, and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, let it be done to you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very hour. Now, when you read the portion in Luke, it is a little bit different. So I might as well deal with that first of all. Um, when we read about in chapter 7 of Luke, you actually, um, it tells us there that the centurion didn't actually speak to the Lord himself, that he sent servants, and the servants uh, did the verbal transaction with the Lord and it seems as if the centurion never actually spoke to the Lord directly. I suppose it's a, a bit of a struggle to try and tie the two together because they are quite clearly the same story, at least I think so. And, um, and so the only conclusion that I can come to that, uh, that helps at all to try and marry the two together is that that when this uh, Matthew is referring to the, the centurion speaking, then that, that was always just done through the servants. And that although <coughs> maybe more pertinent in these days, that if there was somebody representing you, then it's been taking effectively that that is a direct communication. That's the only way I can really sort of tie that together. Um, that the centurion would have given his, his um, servants clear instructions of what to say and when they said it effectively those were the words of the centurion anyway this is a, another uh, follow on from what I was speaking about last week when we were talking about the, uh, the man who was paralysed in the stretcher coming down through the roof we were seeing there last week um, evidence of a working faith. 
it was a the tremendous faith that the man who was paralysed in his uh, stretcher and his four friends had, that they were just so determined to get that man at the feet of Christ because they believed that would then result in him being healed. Here we are seeing um, more of a trusting faith. That it the centurion here was indicating quite clearly that it wasn't necessary for Jesus to be actually there to touch in order to heal or to be physically there. It was just sufficient for him to speak. And so we're dealing with the same faith and different outworkings of it. <coughs> so we start in this story here that, um, that Jesus, when he entered Capernaum, um, there were so many people crowding around him. And I mentioned last week that that was a, a significant in the, the way that the Lord worked, that he drew crowds to him. He was uh, attracting so many people and a lot of it would be primarily because they had he could do things, he could heal, he could physically heal people. And so people were coming with all their ailments and their friends' ailments. And I suppose it just it's the question really it comes, how many of those people actually is the scripture refers to clove to him? And I just thought really just as a, an intro to what I want to say here today was it's really pertinent to us that there are many people who believe in God, there are many people who believe in Jesus Christ, but there's maybe only a few or a much smaller amount of people who would claim to actually cleave unto him. And of course the faith that this centurion had was pretty unique. <coughs> that the Lord was able to speak and say that he'd never seen anything like it in all Israel. So he was talking really about amongst the Jews. And here was a Gentile who had a deep, deep faith. I think it's... Um, maybe also worth just meditating on the fact that when the Lord Jesus, when he gathered his disciples around him at the end, before he went back to heaven, there was only 120 of them. And it makes you think of all the teaching and the crowds and the thousands that followed the Lord Jesus, that wanted to listen to him, that a lot of them were rice Christians, as you call them, or uh, somebody referred to them in this country as being bun Christians. <coughs> They're only coming for what they can get and they weren't as interested in what the Lord Jesus could do for them spiritually. They were only interested in what the Lord Jesus could do to them physically. And I think um, there are a lot of people like that, of course. It's, they look at their Christianity and think, well, uh, I choose my church based on what I can get out of it. I, I choose the, the amount I put into my Christianity, into my service for God, based on, well, what am I getting from it? What benefits am I going to get? And rather than really looking at what I can give and what a 
appreciation of the person of Christ or a deeper understanding on the glory and the majesty of Almighty God. Um, and so therefore not looking ahead at what it can benefit spiritually and um, cause me to give and be a better servant to, to God. <coughs> it's all about, well, physically, what do I benefit from it? So it's a challenge to us all, and it's, it's very easy for us to point fingers. And uh, there's a lot of all of this in us as well, that there's things that we get comfortable with, there's things that we uh, enjoy, and so therefore we, we do that, the harder things, the difficult things, which uh, sometimes can mean the study, the sitting down and the studying of the word and the meditating on it in order to get that deeper appreciation is harder for us to do and sometimes we lose out because of it. I think, um, <coughs> just thinking again about this, uh, the centurion, the centurion um, is a Gentile. It made me think, go back to um, Luke chapter 2, if you remember the, the um, old Simeon, the, um, just pick up exactly what he said, that when the Lord Jesus as a, an eight-day-old child came into the temple, that old Simeon saw him and it was revealed to him that this indeed was the Lord's Christ. And he says, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. And then he says, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And that's a quotation from Isaiah. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. And here you're seeing it in practice uh, with the centurion. You know that he is a Gentile and he had seen the light. He had a a deep understanding of who Christ was and what he was doing and why he was there. And here you're seeing that this, although the salvation was to come to the Jews first, it was also to the Gentiles. And of course, that, that is just something that we're eternally grateful for, aren't we? That's why we're here. <coughs> I think it's uh, also, we were talking about last week about the concern that the friends um, had for um, somebody who was in need that the four friends were prepared to you know, open up a roof to get their friend down before Christ here you're seeing the same in the centurion is that deep love that he showed for his servant uh, to the point that he was prepared to put himself out he was prepared to take the action that he did in order that his servant might be healed. Um, and again, it's teaching there for us is to have that love for the sinner, have that love for each other, to prepare to 
put ourselves out for others who need it, particularly, of course, those that need healing. And it's a spiritual healing that we are primarily affected by. Last week we were talking about the first thing the Lord said was, your sins are forgiven you, uh, which was the most important thing. Uh, that was more important than actually he physically healing them because it was eternity that mattered. So the spiritual healing was uh, is, is foremost, or should be. But we should also be concerned for each other's well-being, physical well-being, the same way. So again, it's teaching here for us that. I just when I was um, looking at this, uh, particularly yesterday. One of these situations you get when you're meditating on the subject that the Holy Spirit takes you off in a little route. <coughs> That's what happened to me. And uh, Rhoda will con confirm this because I both heard it as well. We were uh, ended up discussing this. I was thinking about the great faith um, of the centurion and just thinking about what the word means, um, what this faith is, what how it um, transfers into activity, and how we understand it. Um, I'd like us just to turn to Isaiah, <coughs> Isaiah chapter forty-one. Now, try and explain to you where my mind was, was taken. <coughs> Isaiah 41 verse 8 it was really thinking about uh, from taking it from what the Lord said that uh, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel <coughs> and talking about also that many shall come from the east and the west to the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness <clears throat> this um, this great faith that he saw in the centurion um, if we just be thinking about that in our minds as we just read Isaiah 41 verse 8 and it reads but you Israel <coughs> my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my friend. I think um, the descendant of Abraham, my friend, made me look up the word friend. Um, in the Hebrew, the word friend meant the affection for. And it was the affection and the love for. And I was thinking again about going back to Abraham and thinking about the Lord's relationship with Abraham. <coughs> he regarded him as a friend. He regarded him as my friend. And so much stems from that relationship. Abraham was the father of the, the Jews, but he's also the father of the Gentiles. <laughs> Uh, he's the father of the person of Christ, the Son of Man, 
and we are the offspring of that in our salvation. So we all look to Abraham as our father. And that relationship, when you think about his dealings with Abraham as a man of faith, again, it brings us back to this story about the centurion and his great faith. That Abraham was a man who was told to get out of the, the city of debauchery and, and sinfulness and idol worship that was Ur of the Chaldeans. And he got up and left all behind him. And even later, when the Lord took him as an old man and showed him the stars in the sky and showed him the sand grains in the seashore and said, so shall your offspring be. And it says that Abraham believed. And it was an impossibility physically for that to happen, but Abraham believed. And that was rendered unto him, regarded unto him as righteousness. That was a tremendous faith that Abraham had. But here as we read in, in Isaiah, it was the relationship that developed because of that faith. The relationship that came out of that faith was one in which it speaks of the Lord's called him my friend. And the Lord had this loving affection for him. <coughs> And from that, we then read, transpires that Jacob, who was the offspring of the line from Abraham, um, whom I have chosen. Jacob was who he chose. Now, if you remember that Jacob was the one who strove with God. Jacob was the one who had the offspring that created the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Jacob striving that he was, had his name changed to Israel. And it happened after the striving. It happened because he had striven. He says, I'll give you the name Israel because you're my servant and you prevailed and you prevailed because you submitted and just linking these things up that um, we were just discussing it together and thinking about that wrestling if you remember the wrestling that Jacob had with the Lord and that taking the word that he prevailed it doesn't mean that he um, won the wrestling match. It means that he wrestled with God and he submitted. And because of his submission, that as a sign of humility, then that God blessed him. And you see the outcome flowing of that <coughs> that from the, the the sons that he had which were then the tribes of Israel which became the people of God which became the, the marvellous love affair between God and Israel and of course <coughs> that transpires into God's people today which is us and 
it's the same God dealing with a people that he wants us to be separate, that he wants to worship. So in this verse, we have Jacob, whom I have chosen. And again, it's to it's understanding and appreciate that it's God that chooses. Um, that, that because of the faith of Abraham, that there came Isaac and the, the, the story of Isaac, of course, is all so very closely linked to um, the salvation of Christ uh, the, the, through, through the, the cross work of Christ of salvation. And then on to Jacob, whom he had chosen. It's all about God. <coughs> There's lots of times in our lives, you know, when we go through situations where you question why us, what, why is it the churches of God not more blessed? Why is it that we find things so difficult? Why is it that people go away? Why is it that we have sin amongst us? Why is it that we struggle in so many areas? And you, time and time again, you need to be brought back that this is all about God. This is God's dealings. God chose, chooses. And he has called us. And he has a purpose for us. And he's not, very, not saying he's going to make everything nice and smooth, but just because we take and grasp hold and claim to be his people, that therefore that we are going to be suddenly more righteous and suddenly better than everybody else and suddenly uh, more blessed <coughs> in everything that we do. When you look at Israel, they certainly were never that. Very rarely, even looking at their peaks, um, were they ever the greatest nation in all the earth. Um, only very short spaces of time did God ever have got great pleasure from them. It was a struggle. But the most important thing was they were the ones who God chose. And when you look at why, you can go back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You can go back to Egypt and taking them out of Egypt and having a separated people and taking them to Sinai and them saying, we will be obedient. You can go through all these things. It's, they were the apple of his eye. They were the ones that he chose. And they were constantly <coughs> disobeying him. They were constantly falling away. They were constantly causing him grief. But despite the fact that they, they lost their nationality for a while, he brought them back. And again, they would lose it, he brought them back. And time and time again, he brings them back. The same with us. That we need to cling on to the belief that we are chosen by God. The belief that he loves us. The belief that he will never leave us, despite all our feelings, all our sinfulness, all our waywardness, our lack of trust, our loss of faith, all these different things that happen in our lives, either as individuals or sometimes in a group. He never leaves us, and it's always about him. 
and he's the one who will take us through it and he's the one that never leaves us I think the other teaching here about the centurion has gone back is, is the tremendous humility that he showed as a man who's living amongst the Jews um, he didn't consider it worthy that he was worthy of the Lord even coming into his house you know it was just such a, a, a contrast to what we were talking about last week uh, where the Jewish um, 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 stretcher holders um, were so intent in the necessity of getting him to Christ in order for him to be healed. But here, <coughs> the centurion is just showing the tremendous humility that he had. He said, I don't, I don't think you're, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Even although he's a centurion and even although he was a man of power and authority, um, he did not consider himself worthy. That's a lovely attitude to have. Um, to, to, to have that attitude that um, I am nothing and that's what we need before Christ is that we are nothing uh, we are not worthy of salvation we are not worthy of anything and, and sometimes we elevate ourselves to some as if we, we are worthy of it that you know we're, we're doing so much work and we're doing so much here and there and aren't we entitled to certain things we're entitled to nothing and we've never been promised anything other than what we can <coughs> be given in Christ and to have that humility and realise that as sinful people we are nothing and therefore we're totally dependent on Christ to give us anything and anything he gives us is better than what we had because we had nothing and I think here, you know, that faith that the centurion was showing was deep. And we can learn a lot from it. And it's a being um, going on in this uh, Isaiah chapter 41 and 8 that Abraham was my friend and the affection he had for him. Jacob was whom I have chosen and Israel uh, Israel, the word that means he who has striven with God you're my servant and if you look up the Hebrew word there for servant again it brings you back to love it's not the servant of like a slave that you just stand there and do what you're told it's uh, the servant of somebody who submits to his master loves his master it's like we've uh, the story about the, the ear um, being quite the awe in the ear and the door and saying that you will not leave your master I will not go out free because I love my master and although you have the choice to have free will to go and do what you like you want to submit yourself to your master and in this case to God to the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit yourself in the full trust and have the faith that all that he teaches you 
and all that he asks of you and all that he helps you with is totally right because he's absolutely righteous. And so therefore we never get to the point where we're questioning God, saying, what are you playing at? What are you doing? That we totally trust him. And again, this is the evidence of, the, of humility that I think here the centurion was showing in his attitude to the Lord is the same humility that we should have and that Israel, my servant, was that is what he wanted of Israel is in the striving. That's why his name, Jacob's name was changed to Israel because of his striving he submitted is that he knew he couldn't prevail otherwise and uh, the result of that was the humility that eventually came from the striving caused him to submit and from that although he then proceeds life with a limp it was a reminder <laughs> constant reminder of that day that time that time of humility and submission and therefore he is considered here my servant so just leave these thoughts with you I am um, this is all about um, faith it's all about um, the him being a Gentile, of which we can gain so much knowledge and understanding from, is appreciation that we as Gentiles um, know that the Lord Jesus Christ, although he came first to the Jews, although he was a Jew, that salvation wasn't just for the Jews, they rejected him. And um, here you're seeing, even at that time when the Lord was coming and he was preaching mainly to the Jews in Israel, that there were Gentiles even then being prepared um, for the future, and that the people of God today are primarily Gentiles, and they are Gentile mainly, <coughs> and they, and that that is evidence again um, of God's dealings with a people who are prepared to submit to Him and be servants of his. So when we go on to, uh, as in Matthew 8, and it talks about, um, those being cast out, many coming from the east and the west and reclining, uh, and recline at the table <coughs> with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, this is, this is talking about Israel, shall be cast out into the outer darkness in the place, that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think he was just, um, he was saying that the Jews had this belief that um, it was their rightful place, that uh, because they were Jews, um, they, they were the people of God, and therefore from that there was going to ensue that they would inherit the kingdom of heaven and what the Lord is clearly saying here that's not the case um, salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ not coming from 
um, being born a Jew. And uh, that is what is he's referring to here. So I think um, that being taught, said to the Jews must have caused um, great turmoil, I think. <laughs> uh, must have uh, caused them great concern uh, as to who he was referring to. And uh, of course, as we know, the scribes and the Pharisees, etc., got very upset about all. And uh, it was all in the will of God uh, because in the end they took him and they crucified him. To which we are eternally grateful for because it was the will of God and it's because us are reconciled to God through the cross. Shall we pray? <coughs>